Okay, cool. So today I'm really happy to welcome on the kind of second part, uh, second co-founder of Futureverse. We've obviously had Aaron on multiple times on different formats. I'm happy to welcome on Shara. Send her off. Welcome, Shara. So we describe Futureverse as leading AI, metaverse technology and content company. We are obviously about to run an acceleration program together, the Futureverse Accelerator, and I think applications are already open. So we're going to get into a little bit about the program probably later on. But really, I want to kind of talk through several things. The first thing is, why is the metaverse, the open metaverse, still important. A lot of people have kind of moved on. I know we kind of mentioned AI in in the top end description to Futureverse. AI is something we've always outlier envisaged as part of Web3 and the metaverse. You, you can't have it without AI. That said, you know, a lot of people have kind of just moved on to, to AI. They've kind of forgotten about metaverse as perhaps a context. And so I know it's important to both of us. That's why we're running this program, but it'd be good to hear from you why it's still important, why it's still important to your partners. I'd like to introduce you and, and have the audience learn a little bit more about you, your background, and I guess why you and Aaron are kind of this dream team really over at Futureverse. Talk about network, obviously big partnership between yourselves and, and, and Ripple on on. Uh, route and the possibilities that that opens up. And then if we get time, yeah, a little bit more on Futureverse itself. I'm sure that will get weaved in as, as we kind of learn a little bit more about you. So let's start with you. It'd be great to kind of hear a bit more about your background and I guess what brought you to meet Aaron and, and co-found Futureverse. Yeah. So I guess let me think about where to start. So I'll, I'll do this fairly quickly, but in segments. So I've kind of grown up in the entertainment industry. I started in the film business when I was 20 years old. I went to film school, always with a view of storytelling and was kind of the creative kid growing up that whatever I saw in, in my mind, I wanted to bring to reality. And I wanted to tell people stories of how things could be or should be from my perspective of reality. And that that really became a through line in my whole career. I started in the movie business really as a kid was naive enough to pitch a lot of ideas before they really had the legs to be such as when the movie business about 15 years ago was facing this inflection point where box office revenue was starting to become the only way for them to drive any sort of model around continual growth of the industry. And it became, oh, well, we have to make sure that people are going into the theater. So we need to make sure that the IP on the screen is something they're familiar with. So we don't risk that an original piece of IP that doesn't have a built-in audience won't generate the revenue we need to make our money back. And it was as simple as that. And so then they started to leverage pre-existing IP and original content fell by the wayside. And then it became, well, how are we gonna create audiences around new IP? And that was kind of the beginning of my career in the movie business. And I said, well, we have to look to the internet because online we can understand audience. We can understand who's viewing a particular piece of content. We can target them with ads. And this was at the very beginning of digital advertising, Facebook, Twitter, none of these social media platforms that we know today had any ad model, no ad tech, no ability to advertise to those audiences. They were at the beginning of their 
their rise of community. And it was initially tapping into communities without advertising, which is interesting because we'll, we'll come back to that. But that's where we are right now at the beginning of kind of the rise of Web3. But so I kind of looked at that opportunity and said, well, if we distribute the high quality content we're making for theaters and for television online, we'll be able to not only deliver content to audiences that want it, but we'll be able to understand those audiences because there are data and tools that allow us to do that. And so that kind of became my foray into digital content about 13 or so years ago. And it led me down a lot of paths into metadata and ad tech to understand who these audiences were, how we find them, how we aggregate them, how we communicate with them. I distributed and developed a lot of different content series. And then from there, I continued an evolution into storytelling online and launched a business called Intern Sushi that was effectively a pre-LinkedIn. It was the ability for interns and entry-level candidates to apply to jobs with a digital resume, no more paper resume. It was how do you pitch yourself with the creative you've made, your perspective on the world? How do you show someone how you can contribute to a business with ideas other as opposed to just words on a piece of paper? And from there, I ended up, that was my first startup about probably 12, 13 years ago, built that out, ended up selling that company And it had actually a really interesting rise in the music business, all the record labels, all the management companies, a ton of artists, teams, publishing companies in music started to use my site to hire interns. So made a ton of relationships in the music industry and kind of brought the perspective around how do we scale audience in music using technology and the music business was like what does that mean we don't that we don't want to use and experiment with things that are outside of the mold of what we're traditionally familiar with but it some of the people started to open up i started consulting all over the music business you name it i was working with them around how do we understand audience and build really interesting compelling ways to communicate directly with fans And at that time, it kind of led me down the blockchain crypto hole, rabbit hole, no pun intended or pun intended, because when I started to look at the technology that I thought was best fit to reshape a lot of the music industry, it led me right to blockchain. And the idea of digital collectibles becoming the tool with which artists can communicate with their fans and exchange value became like a a thesis about eight years ago that I started to really look at. And that's the sort of short version that then from there propelled me into looking at it for Hollywood and sort of all sorts of, of ways. And then I ended up teaming up with Scooter Braun about five and a half years ago as, and Ripple around the thesis of how do we invest in the infrastructure companies and the technology companies that are going to try to make this a reality? And that vision that I had of how do we find the early entrepreneurs that are doing this, we launched a fund called Raised in Space. And my vision was not dissimilar from what Aaron was doing with his NetEx fund on the other side of the world. He was incubating and building. I was am just like Aaron, a serial entrepreneur, started a new business left, right, and center to solve a problem. And we kind of were both doing the same thing, investing in these companies, incubating these companies that could potentially create effectively the underlying 
foundation and infrastructure for what we want the metaverse to be. And so that kind of was how we we ended up connecting about, I guess now close to two and a half years ago around Altered State Machine. I was looking for an AI company that was at the protocol layer working with NFTs and digital collectibles. And they were the only one in the space that I felt like had a vision for how this could actually scale. And so when I got under the hood and started working with David at Altered State Machine, I made an investment from my last fund into ASM. And then I started working really closely with the ASM team. And one day, David was like, you should spend time with Aaron. And when Aaron and I got on the phone, I was like, oh, this is interesting. We have very similar views of the world, have done very similar things career-wise, have a pretty um, similar understanding or strategic view of how we can make things happen. And we also have a a different skill set, which is really valuable in the areas that I touch of branding and partnerships and entertainment. And then Aaron obviously focuses more heavily on product and tech. And it became a clear, very ambitious team that said, let's roll up 11 companies. And not at not one moment did that scare us. It probably should have in retrospect, but it didn't. And so that was when we said, let's dive head in and try to make our vision of the world a reality. Yeah, very cool. And I mean, again, I won't kind of cover... Um, that roll up and the companies that are in it and, and the various funding. I think m- most people who will, will follow our channels should should be uh, gen- generally aware of that. But maybe let's start at the the kind of unifying thesis really uh, around the metaverse. Uh, in the description, you mentioned AI and the metaverse. Maybe you could talk about your shared vision at Futureverse for the metaverse and the role that AI plays in it. So I loved something that you said at the beginning when you brought up the fact that I don't know how you phrased it, but it was brilliant of everyone is just leaving now that, that the metaverse is just kind of over and people think it's over. And we laugh at that in a lot of ways because there are massive reports from the finance industry around the trillion dollar value, the multi-trillion dollar. I think we've seen figures between five and $20 trillion by 2030 that will come out of the metaverse. And what's really interesting about that is the finance industry believes there's going to be excessive value in this quote unquote metaverse and people, and I put it in quotes because I think people misunderstand and mislabel it. In our view, the metaverse is simply the evolution of the internet. So saying that the metaverse is either dead or over, or you're moving on from it is like saying you're moving on from the internet. It's like saying you're moving on from roads. I'm no longer going to have roads that I drive my car on. Where are you going to go? Can you imagine if like, if the internet just ceased to exist? What would we do? We would have no form of interconnectivity or connection, or frankly, a lot of people would have nothing to do all day because they simply live connected. So the metaverse to us is simply the evolution of the internet with values and a configuration that puts humans at the center of it. So instead of the current version of the internet as we know it, where it's siloed and controlled by six or or a handful of massive media companies and, and technology companies, this starts to put value and control into the hands of a single individual. Now, that's a very utopian, long-term 
perspective, some people might say. But I think if you if you simplify it for the definition, then you don't think that of the metaverse as a place or you don't think of it as a game. You think about it just as the evolution of standards online. And that's it. Now, AI. AI is the ability for things to be created and processes to become more efficient at scale. So if that's what AI really is, in some form, obviously we could probably argue its intent and you could go down a million different pathways with that. But if AI in its simplest form is the ability to put the power in the hands of the individual to create things that they want in, at, at scale, then AI and the metaverse should be best friends because the, the metaverse is going to be the expansive internet and the immersive internet. And then AI is going to give people the tools to create and to build processes and to do their work and to evolve everything that happens in their lives. So I think this is really simply just a transformation of everything we know digitally. And it's the convergence of things that we've come to know as silos, finance being separate from media, media being separate from social, commerce being separate from all of them. Now we're seeing it come together. We're buying things on social media. Our finances are embedded in digital wallets that we can transact interoperably as much as possible right now, that's the other path that the metaverse will tackle and is tackling, frankly, just in baby steps and it will accelerate quickly is obviously a, a word that, that you and I love, a word that is really hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around and understand. But interoperability just simply means you can go places with your things without having to climb a gigantic wall. That That's a lot of how from the futureverse perspective and our mission is to simplify a lot of these things. So they don't feel overwhelming and they don't feel like pieces of technology that the everyman has to understand in great detail. It's simply the evolution of, of the digital world, as you know, and it's going to make your life a lot easier and empower you to do a lot more things than you can today. You know, earlier we kind of alluded to this, this roll up. It would be good to kind of just at a very high level summarize or, or break down what is Futureverse. Because on the one hand, there's technologies, a technology stack. On the other hand, there's some kind of commercial entities. And on the other hand, there's this IP, both native IP that's been developed from Fluff World to whatever else may, may exist, goblins. Uh, and then, um, of course, uh, I, I guess you call it blue chip IP that's transitioning from you know e existing brand franchises in, into the metaverse. Could you kind of like summarize the constituent parts of the Futureverse and I guess help people understand why the Futureverse is a great partner for people looking to build in uh, the metaverse? Yeah, so think of Futureverse really simply as an underlying technology stack, which is the root network. We say the root network is more than just a blockchain because it is so much more than just a blockchain. It's an underlying blockchain because obviously we need that to do all the things we want to do. It's a suite of protocols that allow for different developers to build and accelerate their businesses and their ideas in different ways, depending on what they want to use. It's obviously a la carte in that, in that pathway that I just described. On top of that, are a set of tools that can make brands and developers have even more instantaneous access to consumer 
products or processes that will allow them to accelerate their ideas by not having to build things like identity in our future past, like future score, which is our loyalty program that allows developers to reward their communities and their holders for it, it tangibly with token for the things that they do and use and, and find utility in. And then, uh, and th that's just one example of the suite of tools and what we call the Futureverse platform. And then on the very top is our content. And our content is used really as proof of concept to showcase our technology. So the content and the collections that our communities have come to know, obviously you mentioned fluffs and goblins and bears and and it, it sometimes it, it can feel like we're it, we're in a movie. We kind of really are. Those those avatars and those proof points will exist in worlds, games, and experiences that get built on top of our Futureverse platform and utilizing the root network. So over the next twelve to twenty four months, you will see our technology come to life using the big IP that you mentioned. Some of the big brands we're working with: FIFA, ABG, and a, a few big ones that that you know of that we're preparing to announce, those will really start to show the world what the metaverse can become by way of putting those pieces of IP on top of our technology and proving how they can be used and how they'll come to life for consumers. Yeah, and if people haven't already seen it, there's a cool thing done by, uh, I think it's uh, base or based uh, as fuck based AF, where they showed uh, kind of a, I think it was a VRM setup, but uh, they, they brought multiple assets uh, from primarily from from the Futureverse ecosystem into into one environment where they were kind of producing in metaverse content. And the point is that that could then include uh, any other form of, of IP that we're kind of looking to leverage these standards. And for us, the really interesting thing is, I think the reason why a lot of people have notionally moved on from the idea of the open metaverse is they've almost got impatient or frustrated with the lack of fulfillment of this promise of interoperability. And it's interesting us having this conversation recently. Interoperability in the open metaverse is one of those hard problems to solve, but once it's solved, very quickly catalyzes and becomes ubiquitous obvious and in and, and kind of inevitable i actually see that first starting to happen in the future first ecosystem um and very quickly i i kind of hope that's going to then sp spiral outwards you mentioned root and i think it'd be good to just talk a little bit more about that in your kind of genesis story you referenced that you're already working quite closely with ripple in the context of scooter braun and the music industry and i remember speaking with aaron um, as he was kind of weighing up some some options about different pathways with technical partners. And when he mentioned Ripple, at the time, it was quite controversial. I think infinitely less controversial now with um, the precedents that are being set, you know, the classifications, the court cases that they're winning. But I think given you were also working with them relatively early in the cycle, actually pre-collaboration around Futureverse, it'd be good uh, to, again, just give some grounding in people understanding the opportunity that that presents, the opportunity of building on root network presents to kind of reach a wide user base given kind of the wallets and uses of things like XRP. Yeah, I think I've been working with Ripple now for probably like six or so years. And I think that the human component of it is is one of the interesting things that I think people often leave 
or put by the wayside when they think about people that they want to work with or technologies that they want to work with. They focus so much on the technology. But until the world is powered by AI and humans aren't involved, humans are such a huge part of that. And so from my experience with Ripple, and I know we've said this a lot, they're a class act in how they approach everything that they do. They're they're exceptionally professional. They're really strategic. They are really thoughtful. They have a deep, deep and long view of what they're doing and why they're doing it and all of the components and how they intersect and how all of their technology will change the world. And they have integrity around the decisions that they make in relation to their technology. I would start there with why ultimately Aaron and I decided that Ripple was the right partner. And then simply, I think you hit the nail on the head when you think about XRP and the rise and the community around XRP, that created another pool for us of an audience that understood what we were doing. And then from a technical perspective with the with the XRPL ledger, we we knew that there were things we could supercharge by where we were at in particular um, timelines of development and where they were at and the way that we could bring together the two pieces of technology now, but also where we could continue to develop with them. And I think when you bring really smart and like-minded people together in a room, and that's been one of our favorite parts of working with the Ripple team, we're solving problems that we didn't even intend to come together to solve when we did the deal in the first place. So let's take this back to interoperability. The goal is that we're all interoperable. The the Ledger, Solana, Polygon, you name it, Ethereum, like we're we're there to be interconnected. And the mainstream consumer doesn't need to know that, but we need to build so that everyone can move with whatever asset they have wherever it beget and be able to bridge these assets. And so from the larger perspective of interoperability, we're starting where we're starting because we believe it it adds a lot of value, the liquidity of XRP as a gas token, a lot of the things that we signed up to do with Ripple are just the beginning of where we're headed. And that's their view too. They want to be a part of the open metaverse. And there were not a lot of companies, which you know, because you were fairly intimate knowing our kind of thinking and what we're evaluating when we went up and got deep with other potential partners, we found how few were open, how many were running their own nodes. And when it comes to beginning to build something that, like you said, is frustrating to a lot of people because it feels like it's not accelerating as fast as it could, we knew that we had to do it with people that were committed and had integrity to the long-term vision, which is to stay open and to, to be as interoperable as fast as possible. So that was our view on the Ripple partnership. One thing you said that I think is really interesting also to speak a little bit to some of the components of Root Network and the future verse platform. When you brought up uh, some of these frustrations around interoperability, and this kind of ties back to the beginning of my career. When I started making movies, we're making... I was working on movies anywhere from $30 million to $250 million movies. And one of the big $250 million blockbusters I worked on was a four-year visual effects, CGI intensive, massive end of the world movie. And the time and effort and resources it took to, to, to create that, those visuals, to create those assets, to 
animate those assets to render those assets. It, it literally took years and years and years and years. The tools now in AI and in, in just general asset development, rendering, latency, all of the components that go into moving an asset that is high quality, which we now expect from the big MMO video games and the big movies, we expect to see this level of quality as a consumer. To be able to move that into worlds in the metaverse requires the asset interoperability as much as it requires the underlying blockchain interoperability. And the asset registry is one of the biggest parts of of what we're working on behind the scenes that is instrumental and will be instrumental to moving a, a character asset, a, a, an accessory, anything through these worlds. And so I think that speaks a little bit to how much is underneath the hood of the root network. And obviously it could, it would take me an entire day to go through all the pieces and why and how and strategically we're working to develop them and, and where they fit. But there's a lot underneath the hood that people don't account for. And if entrepreneurs think that they're going to sit down and be able to just build all this stuff, we've this the roll-up of Futureverse brings together companies that have been working on this for six years. So if you're starting now and then you're like, let me build all of these components, you'll never get there because you'll never have the funding to sustain you to be able to do it. And so the Root Network and the Futureverse platform, the goal is for it to ultimately be the rails and the roads of the open metaverse that people can just come to and build and not have to do it all themselves. And there's intricacy upon intricacy of, of what's underneath the hood and, and why we're developing those different components right now. And it all speaks to the point that you made, which is the need to accelerate the interconnectivity of all these pieces as quickly as possible so that Consumers will get on board first, the consumers that have already dabbled in the space, and then the mainstream once it becomes something that behaviorally is easy for them to exist and use. Yeah, and I think ingredients that you would want from a partner, a group of partners, as a founder looking to build in the open metaverse, whether it's uh, additional protocols for this kind of composable stack, whether it's particular applications, consumer applications, or whether it's on the content side, I think, you know, the, the first thing to look for is this deep principled commitment to the open metaverse. Um, and that's obviously something we share. And it's great to kind of hear um, that vision shared over at, at Ripple as well and XRP. I think the second thing is this, this mature uh, technology stack that is kind of catalyzing. And I think that's both the individual constituent parts, but then it's in aggregate. The kind of third piece is then thinking through the the distribution about how you're then going to bootstrap these networks of users. And actually, the interesting thing is if you look at, say, XRP and the number of wallets it has as a blue chip asset that is now an asset and a rails that corporations, U.S. corporations are going to feel comfortable deploying on because it's explicitly not a uh, security, or at least, you know, it has kind of that watermark uh, in, in principle that no other network has, not even Ethereum um, as of yet. But also you combine that kind of wallet-based user base that are actively looking at something to do with their XRP. They're looking for increased levels of utility in a consumer context. You combine that with what Futureverse has, which I believe, I don't know if it's number one or number two now, but by unique wallets or number of assets by unique wallets, 
in an NFT context is is probably number one now as well, right? So you have the largest network of NFT holders, unique wallets, and assets by wallet combined with one of the biggest crypto networks of distribution um, for just kind of crypto holders. You combine those two things, you have a very, very powerful distribution network of consumers to kind of bootstrap and engage. And then you have the kind of content component, the ability to bring in large brands um, in a credible way, which is clearly uh, a key a key factor that you kind of bring bring to the table as well. So you know all of those things combined, and then of course Outlier can bring to the table. Um, I think really kind of sets a, a, a dream team, and the fact that we're all prepared to continue to invest in this particular bear market, um, despite the fact that others might have kind of notionally moved on, on the premise that we think that all roads ultimately come back to to the metaverse. I think one thing that's worth kind of stressing as well is the fact that if you look at the roll-up that exists within Futureverse, many of those are now startups that were either introduced uh, by you to us that we ran through our accelerator or went through our accelerator um, and then either got rolled up or you guys have invested through your funds, such as Crucible was announced recently. So there is this kind of like natural synergy based on a principles perspective, based on a technological perspective. And I kind of think a real center of gravity building up around Futureverse. And so um, to your point, you know, if you don't want to have to try and solve all these complex problems yourselves, you just want to execute um, on your particular USP, um, I think Futureverse brings, uh, brings a lot of promise and potential there. So I just want to kind of finally get into... I guess the thesis for the program, broadly, we've kind of got protocol infrastructure. So infrastructure is adding to to the root network. We've got consumer games and experiences. And then we've got utility for existing content and protocols. I don't know if you want to kind of talk talk through this, the kind of things that you're excited about, you're looking for, and I can maybe build on that too. Yeah, I think that when it comes to what we're looking for, I think that we're continuing, Aaron and I and Marco, our CTO and co-founder, all of us share the view that in order to create the open metaverse, it won't be built by us. It will be built by everyone as a collective, whether that means we're giving people the tools to do it or whether we need entrepreneurs to come in and and build and iterate and find holes and and come up with ideas that will tangibly allow, obviously, everything we've talked about today to to show itself to the world. So I think that when we're looking, someone asked me actually yesterday, which is why I'm bringing this up like this, someone asked me like, oh, well, what's a specific example of an idea? I'm like, well, if I had the specific example of the idea, we'd already be building it because Aaron and I are crazy entrepreneurs. So we're building. So it's not in the specifics. It's in the utilization of the protocol. So obviously, ASM is one great example. And and our AI protocol and what it it can bring to people building with AI and, and to accelerate that area. There are use cases in in the utility of XRP and the liquidity of XRP. So people that want to utilize the integration of XRP, which there are look how many people there are in the Ripple community. So it's about experimenting and the idea from a consumer perspective, we're in the beginning and the infancy of finding product market fit. 
with a lot of what consumers want. I think you and I both share and our funds both share. We see a lot of games coming down the pipeline. But what we're seeing a lack of is the connection of consumers who want to play those games. And so that's why for us, a lot of the ideas that we're experimenting with on our own are not necessarily game experiences where you can just have a consumer come in and 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 play something that they've already played, but on Web3, but instead maybe solving a problem for the connectivity between a digital asset and an in-real-life asset. Where is the where are the payment problems to solve? What is what is the consumer communication around how you connect that asset, the authentication of the physical a- asset back to the digital? That's just another example of areas that seem like they might be less sexy, but to us are problems that have to be solved for the whole pie to come together. It's less of use our content and build something fun that people can engage with because we are doing a lot of that. You obviously know a lot of the big IP we're about to announce, but some of the big IP that we've brought in will reach a significant pool of mainstream consumers and we'll start to get them utilizing all of the collections that are in Futureverse in a big way. So I think for us with the base camp, we're really focused on new concepts and new ways of utilizing our protocols to attack and and solve for behavioral changes that we need to go out there and test and see if it's something that we need and not just a nice to have. And so I think that that's a broad answer, but I want to make sure we stay really open because we don't know what idea we're going to want to kind of double down into for how this how how our underlying technology can can continue to grow. And I think one more thing on that point and what I love about everything you said between Futureverse and Outlier is a lot of people underestimate what happens when you're in a group of people and they're seeing you build in front of them, especially Aaron and I are, we see something and we're like, wait, this could connect with this brand or this person. These two companies should merge together. Look, we just merged 11 companies. We created massive opportunity for all of those 11 companies. They all became worth more and and had a brighter future because they came together. And so you can't underestimate the power of being in a group of people like Outlier and, and like our team at Futureverse and what can happen when you build within our network. I think synergy is a, a term that is definitely people like misunderstand the magic. It's if you're there, something crazy could happen. A door could swing open that that would have never opened before. And I think that's what we love about this partnership is that we're all workers. I mean, that's like we can barely get on the phone to do this podcast because you, me and Aaron, we're just working all day long. We're not the type of entrepreneurs or leaders that sit around and talk about what we do. We do it. We have to kind of squeeze in these times to talk about what we do because we're working 24-7 to make these things happen that are being built and the partnerships. And so I think that's one of the big, that's been one of the selling points my whole career for why I got involved with certain people. You just open doors. In addition to opening the technology roads, there are doors that humans can open that I think is a really compelling component of 
what what we're doing here together. Yeah, and I think that there's kind of multiple levels to this particular program, which of course is the first program that we're running together, and and what will be one in a in in a series of uh, programs. So, on the one hand, we often run accelerators with particular protocols ecosystems to kind of help them build out their network, bootstrap that network, and so in the early stages, that's building a lot of middleware, tooling, primitives. And so that's definitely going to be a big part of this initial program for the root network. And as you say, XRP and XRP liquidity uh, drivers, um, RPC, API services, and and stuff like that. And I imagine we'll continue into um, the, the next couple of programs. The other thing then is, as you say, look, the reality is a lot of capital has dried up in the context of the metaverse right now. So it's got harder for teams to deliver on ambitious visions, um, especially when it's there's a requirement to kind of build out infrastructure for them to even get to the point of product market fit, for them to even get to the point of delivering on traction. And so being able to come into this effectively stack of technologies on the one hand, fast tracks that equally, as you say, you're joining an ecosystem, an ecosystem of multiple parties, each with their own partners, their knowledge sets, their networks, which can literally accelerate the adoption um, and go to market of of executing. And ultimately, in an environment where venture capital is dried up or at least significantly slowed down from its all-time highs and where time is money, that effectively means most teams won't have, they won't be able to buy the time to be able to get to product market fit. And so, I imagine there's going to be a lot of pretty mature teams applying to the program because they know that they can kind of fast track uh, to go to market um, with the kind of our combined partner networks. Um, At the same time, as you say, we we don't want to be too prescriptive because who knows the weird and wonderful things that, that can be brought by this kind of network of, of founders. And so um, equally, we're kind of very open to seeing where people can, can can take this. Another area that's interesting to both of us is fully realizing uh, the idea of uh, the metaverse as this blurring of digital and physical. So not just thinking about it as virtual worlds that you kind of have to put a VR headset on uh, to kind of go away and experience, but um, looking at the full spectrum of XR, um, and AR and layering of uh, experiences on the real world, um, tokenization of physical assets, real world assets in the context of uh, immersive experiences. And then, yeah, finally, I guess, looking at people that may have elements of traction around a particular set of IP, um, either their own IP uh, or IP that they've managed to bring through partners. But again, they're kind of really looking to catalyze that and take that to millions, billions of users. So- you know, that's actually a really interesting. That is one area that I've really been looking at over the last few months is we've been approached and we've just seen out in market, whether it be portfolio companies or friends of ours, there was obviously that rise at the beginning where brands wanted to jump in. And so they started to license all their IP. And now a lot of these companies are either out of money who have the licenses or have a really long roadmap to being able to actually activate these pieces of IP because they simply don't have the tech or resources to do it. We're being approached by those people and or we're approaching them where we feel like our tech can activate a lot of these properties. And but that I think is is a clear 
product of the lack of funding that has that has hit us right now. And I do think it will come back really quickly. Obviously, we're doubling down on it because we see it as an opportunity. But I definitely think that people who hold IP and haven't been able to activate it because they don't have the tech, that's a perfect area for us to come in because we do have relationships with big IP. We do have credibility. We are building really cool things. And we have a lot of products that we will start white labeling with with new IP. So I think that's an area that the same way we're seeing like the graveyard of the early metaverse companies and the early crypto companies that ran out of money and now are like, what do we do? And we have this big idea, but we don't have any funding or we don't have any way to use this IP. That's an area. I mean, don't run to us if you're out of funding, but run to us if there's ways you can utilize our tech. No, we're seeing that in the market too. I mean, you got to also think about this. I think entrepreneurs really need to think about what they're building and when the timing is going to work for it. And that's not new to this space. That's one of the challenges. And one of the things I know you as an investor in the same way we do, we evaluate, does this founder have an understanding of, of the speed to product market fit and getting something built and not being someone who wants to build a Lamborghini when you just need the frame of a car? to see if it can go based on the, the timing that is out of your control and being able to survive to have enough time to get to show the world what your product can be. That's that's a really important factor when we look at entrepreneurs and evaluate who we want to invest into. Yeah. And you know, timing is everything, but especially so in, in Web3 and crypto, because it's just in these cycles. And as you say, through no fault of your own, you could just be out of sync with the cycle and you, you, you just don't make it through to the next one. And I think this is one of the things that, again, really appealed to us back in uh, back, well, I don't know what, two years ago, two plus years ago now when we first started speaking to Aaron off the back of um, Fluff World was they were long-term thinkers. Uh, there were lots of opportunities for them to do what every other NFT project was doing very early on, do a cash grab, um, and then kind of move on to better things. But they kind of stuck, stuck the course, continued to execute, wouldn't be rushed, by the community or any other kind of external pressures. And I think that's that's really paid off. And it's something that's really core to a lot of the advice that we do with founders, which is this evergreen thinking. Like you, you're, you're not going to be able to time the market, so don't try. Just build evergreen businesses, evergreen uh, commercial propositions, because they will always be able to fundraise if you can build momentum and traction around them. And then you have the luxury of timing things versus kind of just being at the mercy of, uh, of the tide. So, again, I know uh, something that's a kind of shared principle between Futureverse and uh, an outlier. Well, look, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know you're a very, very busy person. Uh, really great to have got you on the show. Very excited to launch the program. Maybe just some quick information on that. So if you are a founder work, founder creator working in this space um, and what we've described interests you, get in touch and go to outlierventures.io. You'll see the Futureverse program is promoted very clearly on there. It breaks down uh, the thesis in a little bit more detail. We're doing $100,000 uh, cash stipend to join the program. It's a three-month program, remote first. That's very important to us because we want to work with the best founders wherever they are in the world. We don't want to have them have to be based in any one kind of particular hub. Applications opened last week and will remain open until December the 8th. The program will start January next year. 
And look, I'm, I'm super excited by this, not just as a standalone program, but a series of programs. I think it's going to become increasingly obvious why you want to build in the future this ecosystem, the importance of Root Network, and of course, uh, the importance of this program to the open metaverse. So really excited to go on this journey with you. We agree, and we're excited to be working with you. It's rare to have such like-minded partners and Aaron and I definitely when we know that people stand with with integrity and and transparency and all the things that you guys have that we share and we love your team so much that the team on the base camp group is great and we're loving working with you guys already and I think it's rare to find those types of people in the world so we're grateful to be doing this with you awesome thanks so much Shara thanks for coming If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. 